3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders, past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning. You're on Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. Uh, it is the 25th of January 2022 and you're joined here by me, Genevieve, Evie and Fung in the other studio. Good morning, everyone. How are you? Good. It's good to have you back too. <laughs> I know. It's been, um, <laughs> been a while. Um, I'm sure you discussed last week, but COVID is obviously... Uh, infiltrated a lot of people's lives over the summer, but I was very lucky to escape a lot of it um, and flee to South Australia. <laughs> not fl- uh, Yeah, I think I was talking before, it appears that share houses are not the best place to be during No, it doesn't because... seem that way. <laughs> um, hang on one second. Fung, are you, uh, have we got you there? Yeah, can you hear me? Yes. yes. Okay. Yes, um, yeah, it appears that uh, each of my housemates are falling like soldiers and kind of extending <laughs> the lockdowns, but that's okay. I'm like, I've got plenty of places to stay, so I feel very lucky. I'm very lucky that I've actually had a holiday, which is yeah. an insane thing. Yeah, uh, I think time. that like it's made such a difference going back to work, although, mind you, I'm still like <laughs> back at work and like, God, I wish I could have gone to the beach instead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's why you just have to leave and not say not say anything (laughs) that's what I literally yeah like a few days before I was like to my boss so I'm thinking about going away for two weeks (laughs) I'm sorry but catch you later (laughs) um but yeah it's nice to be back yeah in the sweltering (laughs) the 95 percent humidity that is currently ravaging Melbourne in our heat wave at the moment oh I just could not sleep Last night, I'm I'm afraid of looking at my energy bill. Oh God! Oh, um, I mean, I live in like an old sort of Art Deco place, um, and and so we don't have any fans or aircon. But it's actually it's it's really cold in the house. Like it stays cold, except if we've had consecutive (laughs) warm days which we've had this week and so now I feel like it's almost warmer inside than it is outside or the same temperature so now it's like it's getting to the point where it's a bit um unbearable but yeah just like woke up this morning and it was dark but it was hot and I was like where am I what time (laughs) is this (laughs) what am I doing this morning I did my favorite thing last night which is um go to the 24-hour McDonald's around the corner at like 11 o'clock at night and everyone in just like as minimal clothes as possible trying to get a coke and cool down because nobody has air conditioning you can I like figured out this technique during, <laughs> during during my share, I don't know, just being in share houses and like having just really bad insulation and no aircon or fans, you just like wet a towel 
and then you just have like a portable fan on you and it's like your own little like air con yes. system. <laughs> and you put like a couple in the freezer too and you have yes. some crispy towels oh, Yeah, too. That's a good idea. On the back of your neck, like you're, you're sweet. <laughs> I did have to do that to squid um, oh. my <laughs> whippet the other week because I, I, don't, I mean whippets... It, whether it's cold, really cold or really hot, they just don't cope very well. They're sensitive. Um, and yeah. he had been in the house already for like 30 minutes after the walk and still just like looking at me like, what is going on? <laughs> and so uh, he lay down on his bed and I put a wet towel around, on his neck and he was just like, this is the best. Like He just looked like he was in a spa. So <laughs> thank you for the tip, Genevieve. Um, I think it works for... Humans and animals alike. I've been doing the same thing as my cat at the moment when it gets hot, which is he likes to throw himself down on the floor with one big yell and then just collapse. I'm like, same. (laughs) So dramatic. Yeah, I don't know how cats do it. Like, they're just covered in, like, a fur coat. Yeah, he's not happy. Like, um, but, yeah, I, I just appreciate his drama involved in doing so. Very dramatic. I think, yeah, you need to just let it out with the most dramatic, yeah. (laughs) And then you're all good. Um, All right. Huge show Mm. coming up. Um, Shall we have a chat about what's coming up uh, this morning? Yeah, so at around 7.30 this morning, we're going to be chatting uh, with Jess, who is from Fight Together for Justice. They uh, have been protesting um, outside the Park Hotel prison since the men were um, forcibly moved there in, like, December 2020. Mm. They've been out there every single day um, organising and showing up and showing solidarity for the refugees and asylum seekers inside. So I'm going to be talking to Jess about... uh, Yeah, about that, about Park Hotel Prison, as well as just general community organisation. They've also got a a couple of online inductions happening this week for anyone who wants to get involved. Um, So, yeah, um, I think that's going to be a really important conversation. Um, after that, we've got Tara, who is a secondary school teacher here in Nam, Melbourne. She's also a VCAL VCE coordinator. And uh, we're going to be talking about um, the return to school, which is happening later this week. Um, there have been a couple of updates uh, regarding um, rats, uh, testing, masks, things like that. So I'm keen to get the perspective of a um, state school worker um, who knows exactly what it's like at schools because, you know, we know that politicians make these um, big decisions, but what does it actually look like for people who are returning to school after already nearly two years Mm. teaching in the pandemic? So that will be super interesting. Um, and then we've got Jakali Romanis, who is a proud Peter Peter woman and non-based artist and researcher. She's coming on the show to talk about um, the exhibition called Still Here Now, which is happening at Platform Gallery in Geelong. It's an exhibition uh, of works created and curated by uh, First Nations artists. And so, yeah, that that went live online yesterday and it's going to be uh, open until Feb 18th. So just wanted to have a chat with her about that. 
Awesome. And just to round up the show, we will have um, the Greens candidate for Cooper, Celeste Little, also an activist and a unionist, uh, a proud Arente woman. Um, yeah, it's going to be fantastic to have Celeste back on the show again to talk about once more the upcoming federal election and Invasion Day and also just some current news and events as well. Awesome. Well, uh, we'll go to a quick announcement break and we'll be right back with the news after this. Are you a taxi or rideshare driver? CPVV believes that the journey is just as important as the destination. For people with a disability, using taxi or rideshare can be challenging due to refused services, intrusive questions and drivers denying assistance animals. As a driver, you make a difference. Be the reason people with a disability have a great trip. Authorised by CPVV. Melbourne Pride will be taking over Smith Street and Gertrude Street Precinct on Sunday the 13th of February between 11am and 9pm. This free event is a state government initiative delivered by festival partner Midsummer to celebrate the 40th anniversary of the decriminalisation of homosexuality in Victoria. The Fitzroy Precinct will be transformed into a huge street party with two music stages, activities, community stores and more. For more information, visit midsummer.org.au. Midsummer is a 3CR supporter. You're on Tuesday Breakfast here on 3CR Community Radio. We're going to jump into some news headlines for the 25th of January. Uh, Fung, do you want to start us off? Sure. So tomorrow, Wednesday, 26th of January, is Invasion Day. And just a reminder that the Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance, or WAR, here in Victoria have cancelled the Invasion Day March due to the ongoing pandemic. People, however, are encouraged to attend the virtual Invasion Day dawn service organised by Victorian NADOC. It's happening tomorrow morning between 6.15, 7.15am, and we will pop the link to the event in our show notes this morning. It's also worth noting, of course, that 3CR will be holding a special Invasion Day broadcast from 9am until 4pm tomorrow and will be crossing live to the 50th anniversary of the Tent Embassy on Ngambri, Ngunnawal Country or Canberra. So make sure you tune in to 855am on your radio or um, go to 3cr.org.au slash streaming. And if you want to find out more about the special broadcast tomorrow, you can go to 3cr.org.au forward slash Invasion Day 2022. Um, another thing, uh, regular listeners of 3CR Breakfast would have heard Priya last week on Thursday Breakfast speaking with Dave Witters, um, Anawan man and campaign media representative for the Anawan land buyback. If you are looking for an organisation or project uh, to pay the rent to this year, please consider their campaign. They're um, hoping to buy back a piece of Anawan land for cultural practice, language revitalisation and care for country. Um, um, and make sure you go back and listen to that really um, special interview that Priya had with Dave Witters. Um, super important. Some other um, big news this morning, actually announced last night, um, is that the copyright for the Aboriginal flag has now been transferred to public hands uh, for the very first time. So that frees it 
for use for Indigenous community groups and sporting codes and also for personal use. Um, the Australian government's reached a historic deal with um, the creator of the flag to permanently acquire copyright more than 50 years after it was first flown. So it's a, a settlement that ends um, a long-running legal controversy um, surrounding the use of the flag. Um, so in recent years, you may have seen, um, you know, people like, you know, athletes wearing shirts that say free the flag because um, they're not allowed, they weren't allowed to have um, the Aboriginal flag on clothing. Um, it's so that means now that you can have it, you know, not just on sports jerseys and shirts and regular clothing, but also um, in artworks and digitally and in other mediums without having to ask permission or pay a fee. Um, the flag was created by Lurigita artist Harold Thomas in um, and this controversy has been, you know, t- been talked about since about 2018 um, because Clothing the Gap was issued a cease and desist letter from Wham Clothing, which at the time had exclusive use of it. Um, but now that that um, settlement has happened, uh, there is one company that still does have official exclusive rights to you know, produce the flag as a flag, but for everyone else, they can still use it freely. Um, there is going to be a lot of conflicting opinions on what this means for, you know, everyone using the flag um, and for First Nations people, um, where, um, you know, there's been a lot of sort of talk about where royalty money will be going to NADOC. Um, there's going to be uh, some, you know, scholarship funds coming out of the money from this um, deal as well. Um, so I'm really looking forward to seeing the kind of conversations that come out of this. Of course, you know, the Colonial Project of Australia having control of the Aboriginal flag in itself is going to be something that, you know, faces some controversy too. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what people have to say about this. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I just wanted to discuss, I mean, people have probably seen it in the news yesterday that uh, COVID-19 rapid antigen tests are now free for, it's uh, estimated more than 6 million Australians, uh, but only if uh, they are able to snap one up on the very low stocked shelves of their local pharmacist. Um, those eligible include pensioner concession card, Commonwealth seniors health care cards, DVA gold, white or orange cards, healthcare cards in general, and low-income cards. They can access up to 10 free tests from pharmacists for the next three months until April the 30th. The rest of the public is still required to purchase these tests for personal use. However, anyone can get a free rapid test if they are required to receive one due to their isolation requirements. For example, if you're a close contact of a positive case... But, uh, I mean, to make things more confusing, those people should obtain their free rapid tests through testing clinics and not through pharmacists. You can ask for up to five tests in a single visit if you uh, fall under the the category for uh, these six million Australians who are now eligible. So you can uh, get up to five tests in a single visit, but it's up to the pharmacist to decide whether they have the stock to supply them. Uh, but you will receive a minimum of two tests per eligible person when you visit. Uh, obviously, there has been heaps of supply issues that um, have been kind of plaguing retailers across the country. And, you know, pharmacists have warned that they may not be able to fill every request for free rapid tests. 
Uh, but uh, it is said that the Federal Health Minister, Greg Hunt, has says, said the shortage of tests will ease soon as more supplies arrive to Australia. He says 16 million tests are expected to arrive at pharmacies between now and the end of January, with another 33 million set to be delivered next month. Yeah. Um, I've noticed yeah. the prices for, like, if you want to purchase them, they are starting to go down. Yep. I'm just going to hold off until there's, like, better distribution because it's still, like, it's still price catching. <laughs> yeah. Well, even I think um, it seems like getting a PCR test isn't as much. It's much easier now. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, I, I live um, not too far from a testing centre and we'd have lines, like, you mm. know, like three, four kilometres down. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's much more improved now, obviously, because no one's traveling for Christmas or New Year. So, yeah. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. Going back to the information that you were giving us before, Jen, I, I just like it's, I'm that is that perfect gif of like that person with the mathematical symbols <laughs> flying <laughs> in, in front of her because I just like there's so much. It's information. All, yeah. It's really overwhelming. It's a yeah. lot of information, and you know, I wouldn't be surprised like. This is information that I guess you expect all pharmacists to now be aware of, but also if they are even aware of this or if you do are eligible and you go and they're like, well, that's not a thing, like I'm not going to give you a free test and blah, blah, blah. So I reckon as long as if you are eligible, like go in, say this is the new um, requirements and I think most people will um, know. But, yeah, it's really, really confusing. <laughs> Yeah, I think a lot of the pharmacies that I've been to, first of all, they have a sign that's like almost like, please, you know, be patient and polite because we have run out. Um, But every time I've been in there and to ask, even if they haven't had any, they've always been super apologetic and really lovely. And just a, yeah, just a gentle reminder to everyone that they're, you know, working very hard during the pandemic and this must be frustrating for them as well. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah. I know that a lot of people who work at like Woolies and Coles and stuff like that being like harassed oh my God, because of, supply of it. supply shortages and everything. Yeah, oh. like like for pretty much everything. Yeah. For supply shortages, um, for tests, which mm-hmm. I don't think my local Woolworths has had tests like since November. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, just... Be nice to people out there. Yeah, and it is actually what I've noticed um, going back to work, especially in the CBD, um, because I just work in hospitality. It's really busy. There's a lot of tourists around, surprisingly, I think just because of the tennis. And, you know, I think particularly for people that haven't been in the lockdown uh, for as long as a lot of uh, people here have, it can be really frustrating for a lot of people to understand the rules. And I've noticed, you know, like, why do I have to do this? Or why do I have to wear the mask or blah, blah, blah. But yeah, just be nice to each other. Yeah. Um, one last thing I did mention earlier that schools are going back this week. And so the state government has released its back to school plan. Uh, the Victorian and New South Wales plans are quite similar, but I'll just go through Victorian information. So the government will provide staff and students with enough rapid antigen tests to facilitate twice weekly surveillance testing during the first four weeks of term one. Just an aside, this is getting into a completely different issue, but I just keep thinking about the environmental impact of all these um, tests and 
PPE. Yeah. But we'll get, but we'll have to explore that later. Um, that's a whole other issue. Yeah. Uh, so there will no, be no more contact tracing, um, and schools will not close if there is a positive case. Instead, parents of children who test positive for COVID, um, will need to keep the child at home and let the school know and report the case to their state health authority. It will also be the school's responsibility to let other families know if there's a case in the school community. Um, the isolation uh, rules for, for people who test positive are still the same, so you have to stay at home and, and isolate for seven days. Um, the state government is also sending out um, air purifiers to schools, and Merlino has also suggested that some classes could be held outside, and I know that some schools have applied for um, grants so that they can construct, like, shade mm-hmm. um, areas. Although, yeah, I imagine conducting a class outside could also be quite tough. Yeah. Um, and in addition to uh, to cover staff shortages, uh, in addition to schools, casual teaching workforces... Um, they are considering drawing upon retired teaching staff, final year teaching students at university, departmental staff, school principals and vice principals um, to ensure that class, classrooms are kept open. Um, James Merlino said that uh, remote learning is an absolute last resort and classrooms would only close down due to staff shortages for the shortest period of time and only localised to particular schools. Um, Victoria will allow teachers to attend schools, even if they are close contacts of a known case, so long as they produce a daily negative uh, rapid antigen test. So, yeah, there's a lot... There's a lot happening with schools yeah. in Victoria, and I'm super keen to to chat to Tara about it later because um, I'm sure she will have um, really good insight into how that's going to work. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's a, yeah. <laughs> so much. Lots of it's a lot. It's a lot. But I mean, I I guess you know the last two years have been really disruptive for students and staff. But at the same time, you know, we do have to still prioritize the health of our community. So um, it's it's a tough one. But yeah, keen to hear more from Tara later this morning. Definitely. Um, all right, we're going to jump into a quick break now. Uh, you're on Three CR Community Radio. To the first people, January 26 signifies the beginning of colonialism, invasion and displacement, leading to 250 years of resistance, survival and protest. Join us on the 26th of January, Invasion Day special broadcast, 9 o'clock till 4pm, right here on 3CR, 8.55am. 3CR's First Nations broadcasters will be bringing you black and deadly music, news and views from activists around the country as we discuss genocide, sovereignty, treaty, pay the rent, death in custody, truth and justice and the law of the land. We'll be highlighting the 50th anniversary of the Aboriginal Tent Embassy one of the world's longest continuing protest sites, occupying the lawns of what is now Old Parliament House since 1972. Very humiliating. The black people, the people that they think so little of, that these black people are found a way of protesting and making their point known the way no other group in this country has ever done. Well, we want them to hear us now. What do we want? Land rights! What do we want? Now! 
stay tuned to 3CR from 9am to 4pm on the 26th of January for our annual Invasion Day broadcast. Got questions about COVID-19? Drummond Street Services, Queer Space and Queer Space Youth have answers. The team at Drummond Street has partnered with community organisations across Victoria to hear from multicultural LGBTIQ plus people about their COVID-19 questions and concerns. You can now access fact sheets and videos that directly address community concerns about COVID-19 and provide accurate information about vaccines and keeping safe during COVID. Head to cfre.org.au forward slash LGBTIQ COVID to find out more and access resources in languages including Arabic, Mandarin, Farsi, Tamil, French, Spanish, Japanese, Malay, plus English and Easy English. That's cfre.org.au forward slash LGBTIQ COVID. Drummond Street Services. Queer Space and Queer Space Youth, keeping multicultural LGBTIQ plus community safe during COVID. A 3CR supporter. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM, the voice of the community. 3CR, community radio, giving the voice to the community since 1976. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast, 855 AM, or maybe you're streaming at 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. We're going to play a track now. This one is by French Malian pop singer Aya Nakamura. Her song Umu Sangare is named after the great Malian Wasulu singer, uh, who is often referred to as the songbird of Wasulu, and you should definitely check out Umu Sangare. Gare's work, um, but this track was released in 2017 and is part of Aya's album Journal Antime.
pas besoin qu'on me valide, tu confirmais. Tu n'as pas le niveau, mais t'as de tes corps. J'y vais franco, ouais. Désolé, je me permets. Si j'écoutais ma conscience, eh, bye bye. Eh, si j'écoutais ma conscience, ouais, j'aurais touché les étoiles. Eh, dis-moi pourquoi tu bombes. Eh, si je me souviens du passé, ouais, tu me parlais sous conso. Ouais, je connais tes défauts. Eh, moi j'ai l'art et la manière de faire chavirer les autres. Moi j'ai l'art et la manière de faire chavirer les autres. Petit à petit, je m'en vais. Je suis comme Moumou Sangaré. Malienne, la soirée qui s'appelle. Bambara, je suis validé. Il m'attend au tournant pour le succès. Doucement, je suis pas pressé. Tu voulais la couronne, je l'ai volé. Désolé, j'ai gagné. Akela, Akela. Je suis comme Moumou Sangaré. That was Aya Nakamura with Umu Sangare. Since December 2020, the Australian government has arbitrarily locked up refugees and asylum seekers inside Park Hotel Prison in Carlton, here in Nam. These men have been in detention for nearly nine years. There have been daily protests held outside the prison since then um, and have been met with heavy police presence and violence. Joining us today to speak about the need for ongoing solidarity action is Jess from Fight Together for Justice. Welcome to Tuesday breakfast Jess. Hello, good, good to meet you guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, would you mind starting by telling us a bit about yourself um, and about Fight Together for Justice and how you got involved? Yeah sure, uh, my name is Jess and I get, I'm from Fight Together for Justice. I've been in the group for about um, probably at the, from the start of when the group formed. And to provide context, it was formed by, um, it came from the idea of an ex-detainee who used to be held inside um, at Mantra, who also was transferred later to Park Hotel, and he was now released on temporary visa. Uh, he had the idea of forming an action-based group um, based in Nam, where we could form actions and form tangible ways for people in society across Nam. Um, to take action against particularly this issue. And it was formed um, originally to do um, online protests and um, to invite people to have conversations about refugee justice. And then eventually we came to the idea of having a daily presence to pressure the government. And that's something we've been doing since probably um, October 2020. Um, yeah. 
and that's a bit about me as well. Yeah, that's incredible. Uh, can you tell us about the, the daily presence and protests outside the Park Hotel prison? Um, how many people are there every day? Um, are you all sort of standing together? Do you often, um, are you often met with, you know, the, the, the violence of the police? Um, yeah, just general information about, about the, um, protests down there. Yeah, of course. It's so interesting because from the moment it's been, it's been happening, I've witnessed the daily presence and the daily protests go from, go up and down in terms of first people who attended, mm-hmm. second the energy, um, the presence brings and the, the police presence. And they all are different basically month by month. Um, they were really peaked um, in popularity probably in the December period of 2020 where there was a lot of momentum. I would say there was about even 30-plus people attending every day. Um, and with the momentum was really great. People had ideas of um, hooking up speakers where they could play music and the men could be inside and we'd have dance parties. We did it across Christmas and New Year's as well. Um, and we'd have sleep outs as well where we'd sleep in solidarity outside of the Park Hotel and people walking by could see what's happening and ask questions as well as the guys could see that we were outside doing it for them. Um, and during that time when it was really busy, the police, was really heavy-handed mm. um, and unfortunately would even become quite aggressive and violent. When the numbers started to dwindle, when even just about 10 people were there, um, five people were there, and it was just um, often they'd be elderly people or myself who is quite, um, who is young and a fan of colour, um, that would have sometimes 30 cops for people who were just, Five people who are standing outside with the sign "Free the Refugees," um, and it would become excessive. And often, for really bigger events, they would come in huge, huge numbers, and there wouldn't be a time where we wouldn't hear some sort of form of abuse from the police um, at the protest. Unfortunately, so um, yeah, it's look that that was that was probably really peaking a few months ago. It's really dwindled now in terms of police, but then it's really picked up again, unfortunately, when Djokovic was in town mm. and at Park Prison. And um, because of the protesters that, you know, um, that came out of the woodwork, um, they had different presence for, say, the Novak supporters versus the refugee supporters um, that were there outside Park. But um, normally it is really friendly, safe. Um, often it is just community members, people like I who like to come after work, um, have a bit of a walk outside of um, working from home and just waving a sign outside um, to get the guys to see that there's people that really do care still. Yeah, and, and, and um, I do want to touch on the... Um 
what what happened with Djokovic in a second. But we know that in October there was a COVID outbreak at the hotel prison and there was very little, if anything, done to help um, the men inside. Correct. Could you give us more of an insight um, about, about this and, and what's been happening since? It's really awful. Serco, uh, which are the security company, um, uh, for those who might not know, they have been getting contractors coming in and out of the building, not really doing safe, regular, um, you know, training about COVID safety because they would come with no mask, not social distance, um, as well as not do the proper checks and balances. And so eventually, and this is something that ex-detainees, refugees and asylum seekers have been saying for so many months, ever since COVID has come to forefront, um, that their safety and health is at risk, especially in detention. Mm. And their worst nightmare happened, unfortunately, October last year, um, where I believe a security guard who was positive came into shift and spread it, did a super spreader um, within Park Prison, where half of the detainees, the refugee detainees, um, then got COVID. And a lot of them, if not all of them, are um, immunocompromised. I'm sorry if I don't say that um, word right, um, because they are a cohort of people who have been transferred to Australia called specifically medical treatment, which they have still not received. And so it was really horrible to witness and see um, and to hear their stories of, again, state negligence and violence mm. um, literally having um, on their body. And um, they were not... They were immediately isolated in their rooms. They were not able to go to hospital. They would have to fill out forms to just get Panadol, they refused to have um, any types of checks and balance for the negligence that occurred and the violence that occurred. Um, and it was completely preventable and something they had advocated um, for, advocated against for so long, and unfortunately it's happened. And, um, the, yeah, they really just got Panadol. And that was probably through a lot of begging and on their end. Yeah, and, and, and it sounds like a lot of regulation as well. Um, Absolutely. Uh, just very quickly, I know there was a lot of media attention um, around Park Hotel Prison when Djokovic was um, detained there very briefly. As you know, we know that these men have been in detention for nearly nine years have been in Park Hotel Prison since maybe December 2020 um, and a lot of the community, yourself included, have been protesting since October 2020. What was it like to um, suddenly have uh, media there, a lot of people there who, I, I don't know, did many people actually know about what was happening inside? On the ground, it didn't feel like um, that many people did, at least on the first day. And then eventually, I guess... Um, our numbers definitely started to grow as well in terms of people who wanted to show solidarity for the refugees inside. And so the messaging became really clear mm. and um, I guess it was a really... It became a battleground of, in a sense, ideologies because, yeah, people would then hear about what's happening through 
you know, the men protesting inside the media and also us protesting outside. Um, and people were really surprised. Um, but the response then to that surprise has been quite differing. Mm. There were people, of course, that were so shocked and struck to the heart, and we had um, some breakthrough conversations, which were amazing. Um, but um, also there was a, a big group, because a lot of them were Djokovic supporters, who did, who did find out that the priority was still on um, Djokovic. And so it was definitely a range of emotions. I always describe that experience as a fever dream. I would say a lot of my comrades on the ground would say the same. Mm as well as the guys inside, um, where they would, yeah, we would just witness an eclectic group of people coming together and not a lot of them not knowing what's happening and a lot of them that, some of them did care and a lot of them who probably showed um, their priority, which is not on the refugees, unfortunately. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, hopefully, we hope that, you know, even if, even if it didn't sort of click immediately, maybe going home and, and just yeah. even talking about it with their friends and family about what they saw, who they talked to, exactly. um, could lead to some some action. Um, we're, unfortunately, we're running out of time, Jess, but I did want to really quickly touch on how people can get involved with Fight Together for Justice. I know you're holding some online inductions um, and looking for, I guess, you know, like-minded um, community members who want to show solidarity for the men being detained inside. Um, can you tell us a bit about how we can get involved? Of course. So we're holding um, an online induction Zoom um, tonight, actually, at 6.30, as well as on Thursday, 27th of January, 11 a.m., and we'll do an ongoing thing as well, which we'll post online. But the one we have tonight, people can still register for. Um, we have a link in our Instagram bio, which is just Fight Together for Justice. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can follow us across the social media account, as well as just DM us um, if you don't want to just go through that process. And we can have a discussion of um, where you're suitable. And it's a growing group. There's not like a, um, you know, a set formal organisation we're here to really find tangible ways for people to take action on this issue. And so everyone's experience is really welcomed. And, um, yeah, it would be great to see some people come through to the Zoom tonight that we have or, yeah, to DM us and we can figure out something. That sounds great. And we'll pop all the links to your Twitter, Instagram and Linktree in our show notes later this morning. But just very quickly, I did want to say thank you, Jess, for, for joining us on Tuesday breakfast this morning. It's, um, yeah, I mean, it's the ongoing, you know, sanctioned violence of the Australian federal government that um, is keeping these men locked inside and and we as a community need to really come together and show solidarity um, until they are freed. But, yeah, once again, thank you, Jess, for joining us and, and, and yeah, um, uh, hopefully we get some more people um, joining in with the fight. Exactly right.
that's all that matters. People-led movement. Yeah. So thank you so much. No worries. Thank you, Jess. So uh, that was Jess from Fight Together for Justice. If you would like to join the protest down at Park Hotel Prison, there is a daily presence from 6pm Monday to Friday and from 3pm Saturday and Sunday. Uh, Stay tuned. You're listening to 3CR. More than 70 innocent refugees are still being indefinitely detained in detention centres and secure hotels around Australia. Over recent months, many fellow detainees have been released onto bridging visas. Those remaining are desperate to know why they are still held. It is indefinite, it is cruel and it is unlawful. Every day a group of supporters protest this brutality outside the Park Hotel at 701 Swanson Street, Melbourne, where 11 men remain trapped and whose hopes are fading and whose mental health is declining. The aim of the protests is to raise awareness of the situation for the general public, but also to show support and solidarity to the men inside. It is also for the approximately 200 refugees still held offshore. Please come along any weeknight at 6pm or weekend at 3pm. You're on Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. We're going to jump into a quick track now, a bit of a throwback. Uh, this morning for one of my favourite uh, 1970s, 80s disco uh, musicians, Minnie Ripperton, um, and this is one of her most famous songs, Le Fleur. Every man plants a seed of love. 
just playing in the background there is an absolute classic by Minnie Ripperton, one of my favorite songs by her just before she tragically passed away, um, and it's called Les Fleurs. We are now joined by Tara, who is the VCU VCAL coordinator at a secondary school here in Nam, Melbourne, and she joins us today to share some of her reflections on teaching in the pandemic. Welcome to Tuesday Breakfast, Tara. Thanks for having me. So, very briefly, how would you summarise your experience teaching during the pandemic in 2020 and 2021? Uh, I think chaotic sums it up pretty generally. Um, it's kind of hard, basically, for a lot of those two years, we were almost going day by day wondering what was going to happen next. Were we going to go back into lockdown or if we were learning, when are we going back on site? Um, so there was just a lot of uncertainty and, I guess, a lot of chaos, really. Yeah, and, and as the VCU vehicle coordinator, how was that, you know, guiding those senior students through their final years of schooling, um, you know, in and out of lockdowns? Uh, it was actually really hard, and I really felt um, a lot for the students because for our VCAL kids in particular, it impacted things like their ability to go on work placement, which is a large component of their course, or to do their VET certificate which was usually off-site and another provider. So a lot of that had to be delivered online, which kind of defeats the purpose of doing an applied learning certificate. Uh, And for our VCE kids, there are a lot of struggles. We went into some lockdowns quite suddenly, particularly at my school, if we had students test positive. Um, In 2020 in particular, we had a few. But you would just, you would leave school one day and not be back again for another couple of weeks. So a lot of them had books that had, they had to be behind in their lockers. Um, so I just really felt that it was a very interrupted and chaotic year for VCE and VCAL and for every student. Um, but those, you know, you're going through your last year of school or your last two years of school, you want some certainty. You want to be able to, for VCAL kids, get that trade experience but still have the security of your school surrounding. And for VCE kids, teachers, their in-person guide, particularly the students at school I work at, and had to step up the role of a lot of them some primary earners for their household um, and look after younger siblings and put their own learning on the back, do it later on, you know, night or in the afternoon, once they help their siblings with their own remote learning. I really felt for them. Well, we did see a withdrawal, then we withdraw, and I, you know, COVID lockdown. Sorry, sorry, Tara, I don't mean to interrupt. Um, you're just cutting out a, just a tiny bit there. Um, okay. just sorry. Would you mind just um, so, yeah, I, I'm not sure um if it's a bit of the reception issue, but um, just a bit cutting out but I did want to say like it it does sound really hard and like you said a lot of these students have their families to look after and yeah I imagine a lot of them would have younger siblings who also needed guidance and help with their schooling and I imagine a lot of them just wanted to be with their friends and and just have fun. Yeah the social aspect definitely did play a huge part. I had a lot of students reaching out to me in my role at the school just saying that they, they were really struggling and it wasn't just that they couldn't see their friends at school, 
it was the fact that our schools in the metro area said there was the whole five kilometre don't go out of your house kind of thing that they really could not even have that weekend or after school interaction with friends. And so we're heading into another school year. Um, at the beginning of the show, I read out some of the, um, I guess, updates that were announced by the state government uh, this week. What are your thoughts about going um, back to on-site teaching and learning this year? Um, I think there's a bit of trepidation, but also I'm, well, at this point, fingers crossed, I'm hopeful that at least there'll be less interruption, particularly for the VCE and VCAL kids, that will be on site a lot more. But still, there's also that degree of uncertainty. We thought the same thing last year, and then, you know, it got to about March, went down. Um, Class said it's going to be better and that kids be on site and actually significant learning in, um, but still that bit of trepidation. Yeah, of course. And, and you know, there are now these new, um, I guess, rules in terms of, um, isolation, new rules to close contacts and and relying on um, rapid tests um, for um, surveillance testing. Um, what are your thoughts on on all of that? It, does that sound feasible as a as an educator? It also great in, but again, putting it into practice is a different thing. Well, I'm at just the second year where we're at twelve school we. 100 students. Getting that amount of done, and I'm hearing that they're going to speak, and that's great. Um, get students to do the test, though. They're doing them at home. I think that's still well and good to say we that they get tested twice. I know our parents would definitely not do that. Some of the students would be reluctant. The parent of a 14-year-old, I know she's a little bit nervous about testing twice a week. It's, I think in some ways it's compounding the fear, <clears throat> sorry, the fear about going back. Mm. But I understand where they're coming from. It's just, to me, and this is just my own personal opinion, not a reflection of where I work or anything, it just seems to have been so much of a big change. We've gone from two years ago having to isolate for 14 days if you were in, for example, in the school context, a, a contact of someone who's tested positive to now... You know, for teachers, you can go back if you're a close contact and have originally tested negative, but just get tested every day in the meantime. It just seems to me that a lot of the rules that we've had originally to keep people safe have kind of been thrown out the window a little bit, and it's a bit nerve-wracking. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, yeah, I agree, Um, and I said this before, you know, it's still so important that we keep our community safe, especially those who are immunocompromised. the, to cover staff shortages, Victoria said that it may call upon, you know, retired teachers or those who are in their final year of university, even um, people from the department, uh, principals and vice principals. Um, in the last two years, did your school have an experience of staff shortages, and and how do you envision um, this this plan of, of of the government to to cover um, teachers with with other staff? We have had staff shortages. I mean, even at the moment, we have a few vacancies that our leadership team are trying hard to fill and it's not having much success. So there's, we're already being told, and obviously as the VCE VCAL leader, I'm part of our leadership team at our college, um, we are being told, and members of our principal team as well, are getting ready to actually 
having have to teach and have to take take on more of a teaching load. Um, we've had massive shortages, and I know it's a statewide thing. It's not just our school, but the thing that worries me is where are these people going? To, you know, they say that they're going to come from region or retired staff. Um, Again, it's, the theory is great. Mm. Putting it into practice is another thing that concerns me and the upheaval that might mean for the students. Yes, and that's right. That's um, that's the other side of it is that, you know, students um, could potentially be having different teachers, you know, almost every day, which which is just, like you said, another disruption. before uh, we we leave it for today, we're just running out of time, but my last question for you, Tara, is what support, um, what tangible support would you like to see from, from both state and federal governments at schools? I'd, I'd like to see a bit more of an understanding. You know, it sounds really stupid and a bit simple, but just more of an understanding about what teachers are actually doing on the ground in schools each day. We're not only delivering curriculum, we're at the moment being mental health practitioners. We're dealing with health concerns as well, like actual physical health concerns. You know, late last year we were having to, if someone tested positive, we were having to contact all the kids in the class and either get them sent home for the rest of the day or tell them to get tested and then field other questions relating to that. There needs to be a bit more understanding about what we're actually doing and look at, you know, I'm not saying oh, getting the pay rise through would be great, of course, but all, just having an understanding of what we're doing and giving some sort of credit or acknowledgement, whether it be just department level or state level or federal level, it doesn't matter. But I think teachers sometimes just get really bogged down with everything, particularly in the past two years, and everyone does. It's not just teachers. But just give us some credit or acknowledgement of what we're doing so we feel like we are being seen. Yeah, that's that's really important, Tara. I agree with you. I think there are a number of things that you mentioned. Um, it made me think that, like the the school, what we, what people think of it um, when they think about a school has really changed. It sounds like you know from what you've said, not only are you delivering curriculum, but providing mental health support, um, engaging with parents in the community about public health measures. I imagine a lot of people would be contacting you because the information out there is so confusing. Yeah, um, and needing to hear it from people that they trust and know well. So I think the school itself, the idea of school has changed so much and there needs to be, you know, new policies or, or pay that reflect, reflect that. Um, and really, like you said, credit teachers for the added responsibilities that they have now. Um, thank you so much for, for joining us on today's show, Tara. There's so much more that I want to talk to you about, but maybe we can have you on later this year. Um, all the best with, uh, return to school. Um, and yeah, just, um, hope you all stay safe and, and and get to have, to have some enjoyment um, of seeing each other again in term one. No worries. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. That was Tara, who is a secondary school teacher and VCE VCAL leader, speaking to us about what it's been like teaching in the pandemic in the past few years, and as well as sharing her thoughts about returning to school this week. Um, we're going to go to a quick break. Uh, we'll be back after this. <laughs> Tuesday Breakfast would like to thank our friends at Living Coco for their support of the program. 
Living Coco puts community first by respecting food sovereignty. Based in Braybrook, they create bean to bar chocolates, cacao tea, intentional drinking cacao, and cacao mass in bulk. A zero waste manufacturing space, Living Coco ethically sourced cacao from over 130 domestic village farms in Samoa. They are at livingcoco.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Earth Greetings have been making sustainable beautiful since 2003. Their 100% recycled cards, plastic-free stationery and earth-friendly gifts are made in Australia with the lightest possible planetary footprint. Shop online at earthgreetings.com.au or at one of over 500 stockists Australia-wide. Earth Greetings is a 3CR supporter. So, here you are, too foreign for home, too foreign for here, never enough for both. Ijuoma Umebinyo, Diaspora Blues. What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong and how do we build a home away from home? Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Busto and Bigwa every Monday at 2.30 on 3CR Community Radio. Produced by Jan. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio. Welcome back to 3CR. We are now joined by Jakali Romanes, who is a proud Peter Peter woman and NAM-based artist and researcher. She's here to talk about the show Still Here Now, which is an exhibition created and curated by First Nations women, and it opened at Platform Gallery on Wadawurrung Country, or Geelong, yesterday, um, and it will be running until Feb 18. Thank you so much for joining us, Jakali. Thanks for having me. Um, could you please start by introducing yourself a bit more and telling us more about your work and practice? Yeah, definitely. Um, so, as you've mentioned, I'm a proud Peter Peter woman. I grew up on Wadawurrung Country uh, in Torquay, and I'm currently living on Wurundjeri land um, in Melbourne, and. Yeah, I'm an artist and researcher. I've just started a PhD in the last six months centred around my practice, which is basically looking at, in a nutshell, uh, representations of self-identity and place through different photo media. So my practice is largely, um, you know, digital photographs and moving image. Awesome. Um, and uh, just very quickly, good luck with your your PhD. That's um, <laughs> that's huge. Um, so the exhibition is called Still Here Now, which um, I find that really powerful. What does that mean to you? Yeah, I mean, it, I think it's, you know, a reflection of um, all First Nations people's 
existence and survival after going through so many traumatic events, um, you know, when we when we were first colonized, but also the, um, you know, issues and problems we are still continuing to face today. And um, in the face of so much adversity, we are still here now. Yeah, that's a really um, great way of putting it. Um, talk me through some of the other artists and their works that are um, on um, that are being exhibited at the show still here now. Yeah, so we've we've got a wide array of artists actually um, exhibiting. Most of them, if not all of them, have a connection to Wadawurrung country in some way. So. Um, I've co-curated the show with Kelsey and Taryn Love, who also grew up on Wadawurrung Country, um, and they both have work in the show as well. So Kelsey's got some really beautiful weaving work, and Taryn's got some incredible screen printing work and a moving image work. Um, but yeah, I feel very privileged to have work in the show by Aunt Marlene Gilson, who is the Wadarung elder, and her work is incredible and really, um, you know, at large is kind of overturning these colonial tellings of historical events, you know, around the Geelong region. And she's representing them through a Wadarung lens. Um, yeah, so that's just a little bit about <laughs> a couple of the artists. Yeah, awesome. Um, and I imagine it would have been such an amazing experience to collaborate with other First Nations women on this. As, and I, as, you know, I feel very, um, I don't know, I've known Taryn for, you know, about 10 years now. We went to school together, so it was really special to collaborate with her and to... Um, yeah, in a way, kind of be the role models that we wanted to see as young people growing up in the community. Amazing. Um, I noticed on the Platform Gallery website that there are references to um, the work of Professor Chelsea Wadigo, who, um, whose work we love at 3CR. Um, how has uh, uh, Chelsea's writing had an impact on your work? Um, yeah, so her poem, Dear Ancestor, really is kind of the backbone for this exhibition. It was, um, you know, a huge inspiration for the curatorial rationale and a lot of the concepts that went into bringing the show together. But this particular poem, I feel, really encapsulates a lot of feelings that, you know, First Nations people would experience Um going forward in our lives and, you know, feeling a real privilege but also pressure to kind of carry forward knowledge about, you know, our family and where we come from to future generations. Um, yeah, it's, it's such a beautiful poem and I think it really resonated with Tyra and Kelsey and I when we were curating the exhibition. 
That's great. Um, we'll have to pop a link to the poem in our show notes later this morning. Um, and just before we leave this morning, could you tell us more about the closing night celebration that's happening in February? I know that um, you were supposed to have an opening event, but unfortunately that was cancelled. So what can people expect um, on Friday the 18th of Feb? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just a really wonderful opportunity to get mob all together in, in a space. Um, ultimately this exhibition was curated for MOB by MOB so it'll be just a big <laughs> celebration full of black colours um, you know we'll have obviously a welcome to country and a, and a really special smoking ceremony um, but yeah just an opportunity to kind of come together as a community Awesome. And so if uh, people want to find out more about the exhibition um, and how they can visit it, where, where would you recommend that they go? Um, I'd recommend either Platform Arts Instagram page or just the Platform Arts website. Yeah. Yeah, and I can attest that the Platform Arts um, Instagram has some really beautiful um, photos of the exhibition um, uh, uploaded right now, so definitely check it out. Um, well, thank you so much, Sakali, for, for joining us this morning and speaking so beautifully about um, the beauty of, um, you know, co- uh, collaborating with, with um, other First Nations artists, and it really sounds like you... Um, gave a lot of, um, yeah, I guess there's a lot of like yourself in there, but also a lot of community love um, and power in this exhibition. Um, yeah, thank you so much for joining us on the show this morning. Thank, thank you for having me. <laughs> Uh, so that was Jakali Romanes, Peter Peter woman and NAM-based artist and researcher, speaking to us about the show Still Here Now, which is currently on at Platform Gallery on Wadawurrung Country or Geelong. Make sure you check out the exhibition. It is running until February 18th. Genocide here is a lot more sneaky than it is in Rwanda or other places around the world. It's one thing white fellas learnt in the last 200 years to be very sneaky about their genocide. You look at the 38 nations that were here before white settlement and then you count up the numbers that are still surviving, still out there doing their business on their country. Well, there's only 25 left, so what happened to the other 13? Let's talk about the Black GST. Genocide to be stopped, sovereignty acknowledged and treaties made. Tune in to Fire First every Wednesday from 11am till 12 midday on 3CR with Robbie Thorpe. You're listening to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. It is 8.10am and we're going to jump right into a track now. Uh, this is by Barker, who is a um, Mayangapa and Barkinji artist. This song comes from her 2021 EP, Black Matriarchy, and it is incredible. This song, Come Back, uh, features Darumbal Murray and Tongan artist Mikaisha. <laughs> Started looking in the mirror, face my own demons. Had every right to be mad, I had my own reasons. But to take it out on family was a bad feeling. I just wanna pay back my mob with what I was gifted. I just wanna be a good mummy, build my babies a home. Put a crown on my mama and I'll build her a frame. You can't talk about my past, cause 
them dice dead and gone And if you go and bring it up You must have hate in your soul And that's true I just wanna bring it back for a minute And thank my sister and my mama for my children Cause I was trapped in addiction and in prison But they gave me the tools So I could live a little different Thank my matriarchy And thank my babies for me I must be a good woman if I birth them seeds And to be a better woman I must follow my dreams And give back to everybody who done gave to me It's a full circle What goes around comes around Yeah, I was lost at the start But my soul got found And I just wanna be here And make my whole family proud Do everything in my power To make them all smile now I'ma do better, good karma, yes I'm receiving it Made it all real cause I was sick and tired of dreaming it And this life here's a gift, I'm gonna keep on succeeding it I had to get it up and mud and make it better Grab my babies by their hands and we gon' do this together Got these tears in my eyes while I write them love letters And I know I'm not perfect but I'm never gonna give up I gotta plant them seeds and tell the truth how it is I gotta stand up strong and be a mum to my kids I gotta come back strong and go and face some fears Cause I was sick and tired of hating on myself for them years I am Barker and Mikesha with the song Come Back. Coming up now, we've got Celeste Little with us. Uh, she's an Arente woman and she's living and working on unceded Wurundjeri lands. She's a trade unionist, uh, an opinion writer, an activist and social commentator. And she's also the nominated Victorian Greens candidate to run in the seat of Cooper in the next federal election. Coming up against Labor's Jed Kearney. We're really lucky to be joined by her today. Thanks so much for joining us, Celeste. Thanks for having me. Great to be on. It's so special to have you on, uh, especially this week, um, just before Invasion Day. Um, you've lived in the seat of Cooper now for over 20 years, and you've been an activist and a unionist for even longer than that. Um, what is it that's inspired you to run in this election particularly? Oh, look, I think it, there was multiple factors, but um, the one that I highlight probably the most is that um, watching COVID play out um, over the past, well, now two years, but at that time it was one year um, when I when I made the decision to run was was um, kind of a, a bit of an uh, maybe naively an awakening for me. Um, the the disparities, the social disparities, I saw the increase in policing. Um, you know, the fact that we could increase living allowances like JobKeeper and JobSeeker um, overnight and we have the ability to do this yet as a society we choose not to. Um, seeing those all play out and 
and recognising that um, a relative handful of people make decisions um, in this country that impact millions um, kind of made me feel like, you know, doing my part in democracy um, this time around would, would have to take a more active role. Um, uh, yeah, the, the establishment, the political establishment in the two-party system needs to be challenged and... Um, the Greens' policies on on a lot of these things were so much more progressive and forward-thinking than what I was seeing coming out of the majors. So it was about living in the safest seat in the country, or one of the you know used to be anyway, um, and and providing a bit more of a choice for voters, um, so that once we could get excited about elections and and get out there. Well, yeah, I can speak as someone who does live in Cooper. It is like one of the few times that it's been really exciting to live there and see the kind of uh, competition heat up. As you said, it's been, previously, you know, uh, in, in past decades, it's been a very safe Labor seat. Um, but now, you know, we, we have a competition from you, yourself, uh, Kath Larkin from Victorian Socialists, um, coming up against Jed Kearney, who is also a unionist. And, you know, it, it, it's so... Uh, like it's good to be able to disrupt that idea that it's only two parties and you have to decide which one is for yourself and to actually be able to think, well, um, now I can decide which party is more aligned with my values and beliefs. And, yeah, like, you know, the last two years, it's sort of, it's I guess it's radicalised everyone instead of, you know, we don't want to be led to despair. We want to be able to do something about it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it like, it was the safest Labor seat in the country. It is the, still the most left-wing voting seat in the country. So, so having a choice on the left side of politics is where the democracy needs to be in the seat of Cooper. Um, having having a great choice is is you know something that we haven't necessarily had. Um, so being engaged and having those discussions and seeing how we take society forward after something that has just exposed um, the disparity so so much, um, I think, is incredible. So um, the last time we spoke to you, I think, was probably about six months ago, I think, now, when you announced your candidacy. Um, and... I, like in that time, now that you've announced your campaign and um, you've been able to get out into the community to a you know a lesser extent than you would perhaps in a non-pandemic <laughs> year, <laughs> um, but I'm sure you've been able to sort of speak to community members and hear their concerns and um, what kind of things are you hearing? Just like you know specifically that are unique to the seat of Cooper. Um, I don't know if they're unique so much, but definitely um, they're, you know, Cooper has a very strong, um, very strong student population. It has a very strong artistic um, population um, and it has a very strong, um, well, it has a lot of people working in um, the hospital industry in that. So, so the impact, the financial impacts of Cooper have been quite incredible, um, particularly when you consider that, you know, there is a university in the state, so there's a lot of people employed by that university live in the state. There's a lot of students who go to that university living in the state, um, and they have found themselves um, in more and more financially um, precarious situations. Um, so, so, yes, I think that um, 
I think with those sorts of disparities, the fact that the fact that people have felt so insecure and have found themselves more and more disempowered and less supported by by governments um, across the board, you know, federal and state level, um, it is a real issue. I think that um, you know things like the, the um, health sector and the social safety net and um, the fact that, for example. Um, We've had, we've definitely through the um, pandemic had an increase in people seeking mental health support, but um, but the state level government was was um, just last year not able to come to a, um, an agreement, uh, enterprise bargaining agreement rather, or, a prop, or put a proper offer on the table for healthcare workers. So so a lot of them were taking industrial action last year in a pandemic. Um, you know that plus things like um, climate change and the continual um, the continual destruction of um, mainly indigenous lands in order to uh, in order to continue as a country to rely on um, on fossil fuels and non renewables at a time when most of the world is going the other way and setting hard targets to to wind back this sort of environmental devastation. I think those are Big issues, but um, but Cooper's also, you know, it's also um, a diverse community and um, a multiculturally and ethnically diverse community, and um, you know, seeing seeing the um, demonisation and policing of minorities and seeing the continual cruel sort of policies around asylum seekers, I think, is one that but definitely plays out in this seat an awful lot as well. Uh, just turning also to um, Invasion Day and also just um, yesterday evenings and this morning's news about um, the Aboriginal flag uh, being available for free use or personal use now, um, it's an interesting sort of situation because I've, I've read a lot of, um, you know, uh, like it, it does seem like a good um, offer that's on the table now, you know, it's benefited the artist who has created the flag um, and, you know, there's a, seemingly a lot of benefit for the community as well in terms of, you know, royalties as well. Um, and, you know, the the idea that copyright is, like, has now been handed over to the public. But in so far as the colonial project of Australia now having that sort of ownership, I guess, of the flag, I, I guess that brings its own problems. So I was curious to hear your sort of um, opinion of that as well. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I, I am pretty mixed on it. Um, you know, I, I I think I said last night, just in a, in a personal sort of social media post, that um, I had really mixed feelings. Um, and they're complicated. They're hugely complicated because the um, because on one hand um, the the situation that kicked off this campaign was just extraordinary and and you know should never have happened. A non-indigenous organisation sending cease and desist letters to indigenous businesses for using. Um, Using the image of the flag when when the flag itself um, wouldn't have the power it have, has um, as a community and protest symbol had the community not adopted it. So so um, 
you know, I don't believe that that situation should have happened in the first place. And I feel that um, on one hand, the artist, you know, made a bad choice there with regards to who's going to represent, um, who's going to represent the copyright on, on products and, um, that. But on the other, um, as I said, this is a symbol of our protest. It's a symbol of our land rights movement. That's where it came out of, um, the 1970s, you know, land rights movement. And Gary Foley's talked a lot in depth about the creation of it and then, the adoption of it through um, through various sorts of movements like the Tent Embassy, which is coming up for its 50th anniversary, and um, and other land rights rallies that were being held around the time. Um, and and what I worry about, you know, I think it's I think it's good that it can be produced, but when the copyright being held by the government, um, it also creates this um, opportunity, I guess, for the government to use a symbol of that protest or, you know, to, to rubber stamp their own um, activities. So one of the things I was thinking about last night was that um, things like the Northern Territory Intervention, for example, or the Community Development Program, as it was, I mean, now they can just adorn bad, policy, bad policies like that with Aboriginal flags and and... And, you know, call it okay. It's kind of, um, yeah, it's really mixed. I like, I like the fact that community can use it more and, um, and benefit from it given that we're, you know, imbued it with meaning. Um, but, but the state holding copyright kind of when it, when it is a, when it is a, um, symbol of protest against the, the colonial state. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it it's absolutely it's such a strange position to be in. Um just the idea. And like something I learned last night which I didn't know was happening just uh, to my um embarrassment is that um there's still an ongoing campaign uh, by a non-indigenous person to copyright the phrase always was always will be, which is again just in an insane prospect to me. Like you, this is a catch cry along with the Australian, sorry, along with the Aboriginal flag that is something unique to the community and is so, you know, inherent in as a symbol of protest and the idea of, you know, uh, just copywriting that for commercial yeah. use is, yeah. <laughs> um, also, just one more thing before we go today. Um, one thing I really am just so excited about um, your candidacy is that you're really willing to speak openly um, and just very um, <laughs> bluntly about your feelings about, like, you know, policy, whether it be from, you know, the, the LNP or the Labor Party um, and just your, like, understanding of how, um, you know, a government works in that regard. Do you feel like that's a motivating factor as well for younger people to come into government as well? Because I feel like there is a lot of fear of being sort of involved in a process where you always feel like you're on the outer, but I feel like you're sort of leading the charge for, um, you know, much more gung-ho millennials to come in and just say, well, you know, this process isn't working, let's go. (laughs) Maybe, hopefully. Um, Yeah, yeah, you know, it'd be great if that was the case. Um, I I, I think I was saying before, like, you know, for me, um, one of the driving factors was a was bigger choice in democracy, and we haven't necessarily had that. You know, um, 
Cooper, Cooper's its own unique situation, being the most left-wing seat in the country. But this is all across Australia, and um, all across Australia, you know, a lot of young people um, are feeling that they're not being heard. I'm not a young person; I'm 43, so <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a I'm a Gen Xer. But you know, um, but but. I, I'm seeing this activism coming up from the next generations. Um, I think that, you know, whether it's Indigenous rights and the fact that Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance was um, created by a group of young Indigenous activists or it's um, the school strike movement or it's, um, uh, you know, it, any number of protests that I can think of in the last... Um, I've got to cast my mind back five years, sorry, because it's kind of like the last two years have made protests. <laughs> um, not just not just because of COVID, but because increases in policing have been a real issue, um, and the shutting down of protests it um, has been a continual sort of state project. Um, but you know, seeing that activism and seeing people feel like. Um, like there's, you know, the, the they're not represented. That um, these that we're going nowhere fast. Um, that their voices um, aren't heard within the current system. Um, you know, hopefully it does see it does help to show people that they can throw their hat in the mix. They can um, open up a space, I guess, and and use that space to get a stronger message out. Um, yeah, you're right. I've been like, you know, my Twitter account's still my Twitter account. So <laughs> it's, the same, it's the same one that I've had for 10 years. Um, no, not 10 years, since 2007, rather. Um, not 10 <laughs> years anymore. Um, yeah, and and I haven't really changed the tone of it. Um, I'm still speaking as bluntly as I ever have um, because I think one of the things that I had that... Um, a number of um, other politicians don't have um, before they take up their seats is is it, I already had a media presence and I already had a social media presence um, prior to that media presence. So so it just didn't seem right to actually be curtailing my voice, um, even if it's the most random stuff that I do post. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry, Celeste. We'll have to um, end this here. I just realised what the time is. <laughs> that's okay. I, I, no, no, no. That's all right. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. It was a real pleasure, and I'm sure we'll talk to you again soon before the election. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. Thank you. All right, that brings us to the end of the show. Huge show uh, today. Uh, please listen back on our website on 3cr.org.au. We'll be podcasting the show later today. Just a quick reminder before we jump into Accent of Women, uh, join 3CR from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. tomorrow on Invasion Day, Wednesday the 26th of January, for uh, our annual Invasion Day broadcast. Anyway, enjoy your Tuesday.